I was diagnosed the day after my 24th birthday and as with most most of these situations unfortunately it came as a complete complete out of the blue shock opening minds opening doors with EACT the inspirational education podcast I'm Michelle Livesey and I'm a journalist with Bauer Media, which has radio stations across the country from Magic to Absolute, Kiss, The Greatest Hits Network and The Hits Network as well. In this episode of Opening Minds, Opening Doors, we're looking at childhood cancer awareness and we're taking on a really emotional journey from the moment that someone's told those words, you have cancer, to the help and support that's then available to them on that journey. Joining me is Cleo Brown, who was diagnosed with cancer at a young age. And we've got Abby Durr, who's from the Young Lives Versus Cancer charity. First of all, I guess starting with you, Abby, tell me a bit about the charity and the work you do. Sure. So Young Lives Versus Cancer is a national charity. Um, we are based in primary treatment centres. And it's a team of social workers who, and, and navigators, I should say, who help support the families as they're going through cancer treatment for their child or young person. That um, We work with ages 0 to 24, um, just walking alongside them as they're navigating the experience, um, looking at all of the non-medical practical needs as they arise. Um, as many families would probably say, you can't really prepare for something like that. So we are there to help guide them and answer any questions, offer guidance around all the practical needs as they arise and, and just see what we can do to try and help. But we also advocate for the families as well. Um, and I'm sure we'll get into that at some point later. Okay, and Cleo, obviously it's something that you experience. Tell us a bit about your journey, I guess, first of all. So I was diagnosed the day after my 24th birthday. And as with most of these situations, unfortunately, it came as a complete, complete out of the blue shock. So everything for me at the time was was going pretty perfectly in my life in the way that I had just bought a house. I'd got this incredible new job and um, I don't have any any family history of cancer at all. And when I went to the doctor and felt the lump, nobody was concerned, but I was very lucky the doctors and the NHS were incredible and they kept referring referring me for uh, to see specialists and for scans. And then I, I can remember the moment where I hadn't been told that I had cancer, but I knew that I did because I was in the um, in the scanning room on my own. And at this point I hadn't told anybody in anything uh, so I hadn't told my parents I hadn't told my family and I was lying there and they were they were scanning and there was one person in the room and it felt like I closed my eyes and I opened my eyes and there was five five different professionals in the room and at that point nobody needed to say anything really it was it was starkly obvious what the what the situation was um and I, I went straight, straight back to work after that scan. And that is the point where I did tell the people that I work with about it. Um, just because, like I said, I knew in, in my heart of hearts that, that I was going to have to share that because I knew really, even though they can't tell you at that point. And then I was flying home to Ireland the next day to see my family anyway. And I told them about it, but again, like very downplayed it because I'm quite a I try and be quite a stoic person um 
and didn't really go into that much detail. I said, I'm sure it's nothing to worry about, but I've got a follow-up appointment when I get back. Um, and then when I when I flew back in, I can also remember being at the hospital and I arrived and this man was was leaving and gave me his parking ticket. So I didn't have to pay for parking. And it's so silly. But I remember at the time going, oh, this is a really good sign. I feel like it's going to be a really good appointment. Um, and I went in and when, when I was told, you have cancer, I just didn't, I didn't cry or I didn't, I was probably in shock realistically, but I can just remember looking up to the doctor and just saying, well, what are we doing about it? And then after that, everything happened incredibly quickly. So that, that appointment was in five days of the scan. And then I had my first surgery four days after that. And then um, another two surgeries following that, six months of chemo um, and 47 sessions of radio. And then after finishing that, it's then a continued 10 years of treatment. So it was five years of three different types of treatment and then gradually reducing it. So as of February, I'm only on one type of treatment, which feels like quite a, an achievement. But I guess, again, just kind of navigating it as a young person was very, um, very difficult. So again, I can remember I got my diagnosis on a Thursday. And because like I said, it had been my birthday on the Tuesday, I had this big night out planned in London on the Saturday. And I was like, do you know what, let's do it. So me and, me and all my friends went out, went out in London, we went out for afternoon tea, had cocktails. And it was just an incredible evening because although it was, it was very emotional um, and we, we were all crying at different points in the night, it is a night that I look back on with such fondness, really, which sounds absolutely bizarre because it just made me feel like they were they were my family you know my friends are my family that I choose and I guess going through what you're going through you need to have that support in whatever kind of capacity that is through friends through family through the charity however you can get it because like I said it is a a, a situation where there is no right or wrong way to navigate through it but I can only always say that there is there the better way to do it is by relying on people and letting people help you. How did the Cleo on the outside compare to the Cleo on the inside, what was going on inside your head to the front that you were putting on with other people? It's a very hard thing to describe, I guess, because for me, I my, my friends and my family, they absolutely are my heroes, particularly my parents and my sisters. They put their whole lives on hold for me. You know, my parents essentially moved over from Ireland to help take care of me. My sister just went to her job and straight away said, well, I need every Thursday off to take Cleo to chemo. And, you know, that that kind of support there through them. And I guess I just felt like I had to be strong for other people because they were already giving up so much for me. You know, so again, like I very rarely, very rarely cried. I even had like... Um, I would drive to chemo, say, because I just didn't even want to put anybody else out and, again, gave me kind of a sense of, of control. And then, as you said, with the kind of outside persona and the inside persona, then it became 
even more difficult when I started to lose my hair, you know, my eyebrows, my nails, like my eyelashes, quite literally everything. And then obviously you're, you're also like bloating massively from all of the different drugs that you're taking, your skin breaks out. So you just feel like the way you look on the outside and the way your physical body is on the inside and then your mental capacity, it's all, they're all almost in, um, oh, I don't know, like in like arguing against each other. So it's trying to make sure that your mental voice is the loudest voice that, you know, yes, your, your body might be struggling through chemo or it might be struggling because of, of radio or because of the cancer, or it might be, you know, you don't look the way you feel. But actually, it is about that voice inside and in you saying that you can fight this. And it's about following that voice as opposed to how you present on the outside. I suppose the impact as well, um, when people hear those words, you have cancer. Again, going back to young people, you talked about you just turned 24. You had this big night out plan with the girls. You know, it's all about getting ready. It's all about looking your best, going for cocktails psychologically you talk then about your body's change and you losing your hair how much of an impact did that have and were you prepared for that I categorically was not prepared for it because again I think that when you get told that you have cancer your your mind goes straight into survival mode so every, everything else that's happening bar the cancer just takes a back seat you know okay I you know I lost my I lost all of my hair um but that in one respect just feels like, well, that's OK. You know, if the <laughs> if chemo is doing its job and it's killing the cancer, I will happily lose my hair. You know, and I've always said that if, if I got a call from the doctors now saying that you can take another type of chemo that will make it less likely, I would do it in a minute. I would lose my hair in a minute again to just improve, improve your chances. Um, but I guess it just it does come up with very, very different uh, side effects being a young person because you're just focusing on things that, quite frankly, you should, you just shouldn't be. If, if the world was fair, I shouldn't be thinking about, about all of these things. I should be thinking about going out with the girls. We're talking about, obviously, the, the physical impact and also, I guess, the things that, when you say cancer, you expect to come with it, the treatment, the side effects. But going back to you, Abby, there's a lot more to it than that, isn't there? Yeah, I think especially for young people, it's such a pivotal point in their lives where you're just trying to navigate this independence that you're working towards. You're looking at um, if you're in education, you know, how is that going to work? Um, if you've just finished education, you know, you might be looking at employment or you might have plans for like a gap year or just all these, these plans that you get thrown overboard because you're trying to now go, okay, how do we get through this and how long and how do I prepare, you know, for the side effects? What does that mean? A lot of young people, you know, they, they deal with the fact that now they're having to kind of rely on their parents again in a way that they had kind of worked towards growing you know, as you do naturally, towards being a little bit more independent and sort of starting to formulate what your life is going to be. Um, it's it's relationships. It's, as Cleo said, it's it's the physical aspect of it. You know, I think you're trying to figure out this this new body and this new just how things work. 
Um, and, you know, just anticipating the information that you're given and then waiting for it to actually happen. And that is a, is a big fear that we hear sometimes is you're told what the side effects can be, but you're not, you know, an estimate about when it's going to start. And then you sort of wait for it and you wait for it and then it starts to happen. And it's, it's a lot of things to consider at a time when you don't necessarily, you couldn't have imagined having to, you know, I think you're having conversations around fertility that you might probably might not have been on your radar at that point in your life. Um, especially if you're someone a little bit younger where that's definitely not something that was on your radar as a, as a older teen or, you know, young 20s. And you have to process that like, yeah. information so quickly. Yeah. So again, I was I was diagnosed on a Thursday and before I could start chemo, I had to have, you know, egg retrieval and, and go through all of that. And But at that point, I'd never given fertility a thought. I As in genuinely, I just assumed that when I wanted children, if I wanted children, I would be able to have them. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh, not only do you have cancer and you need to have all these surgeries, but also if you do live through the cancer and you do want children, then you need to be thinking about that now, which is it's quite mind blowing. And as as Abby said, like the what the charity is absolutely incredible at is helping with all of those other non-medical side effects that come along with it. So if you trust your doctors to kind of get on and get the best for the cancer to increase survival as much as possible, and then the charity comes in and helps with absolutely everything else, which I... I couldn't thank the charity enough for everything that they've that they've given me and everything that they've provided. Because how do you process all that? Because like you know, we were talking. You're being told that you said it happened so quick. You know, you you told it was this within a week. Then you're having the operations. Then you've been your treatment plans being and your family are coming over and you've got all this information to process and then you've got the other things on top like you say the the psychological effect the thinking about fertility did you just bury that and just go with it and did it come back you know and you thought about it afterwards or I I guess with the fertility definitely in the way that since I've obviously post um you know the kind of in hospital treatments it has been a matter of of processing just processing it what does that mean what does that mean for the future um and again like the charity helping talk you through things like that because i was very lucky my family come from a medical background so they could come to appointments with me and would help me to navigate essentially all the different information and then prioritize essentially where to go what to do but a lot of people don't have that that luxury really so it's about prioritizing um but the the charity were there for me every every step of the way. So they would signpost me which direction to go to for honestly, quite literally whatever I needed. So my first experience of the charity was I had arrived for chemo 10 minutes early and you can't go in chemo even two minutes early because they're so strict about the, the seat times and everything. And I just walked past, I was in the Royal Marsden, I just walked past and the door was open and it, it, um, and it said Click Sergeant, which was the name of the charity at the time. And my mum was like, we just go in and just see what they can provide because it says young people and we've never even heard of it. And we just went in and straight away there's a... Um, Somebody comes out, sits you down, talks you through all of the different things that they provide. You know, we got a, I got a, a welcome check to um, to aid in 
whatever aspect of of your treatment that you're finding difficult money wise. So again, for, for me, it was it was the car parking because to get it to pay for the car park for six months was, I think, maybe like 200 pounds, which again, obviously, when you can't work for a minimum of a year, it's a really, really big consideration. So that was and the charity helped find a grant for me through like a teaching, a teaching grant so they could direct me towards that. And then I, I remember returning, returning back later when my hair had had completely fallen out and I'd shaved my head at that point. And I was feeling quite low about about how I looked and about the, the impact that that was having on my mental health and well-being. And then obviously the knock on effect that that has on your physical on your physical health and the charity were then able to direct me towards other charities that would help with that. So again, it's just about they do everything that they can, but then they also use their network that if they can't help, they'll find somebody who can. There wasn't anything that I could not go to that I wouldn't feel comfortable that they would be signposting me in the right direction. You know, nobody expects to get cancer, even though we know the figures are quite high. So how would people know about the charity? You know, you came across it because you were early for your chemo appointment and you walked past it. But how do people, is that what you do? Do you position yourselves in hospital so you can target young people that way? So um, there should be a team at most every primary treatment centre within the UK. And then we receive referrals from the medical team. So the medical team would speak with the families, young people, to see if they'd like to access our support. Families can self-refer, as Cleo did, where they come in and or step into the office. You can check us out online. Um, we do offer the registration grant. So sometimes families will go online and see that there's a registration grant, and then that will trigger if whether or not they want our support. So we touch base with them. Um, sometimes working with the other charities, um, they can refer into us as well. So it's really, there's many different avenues for that where it's, um, you know, we just want our reach to get out there. Um, and it's, we're, we're pretty open to, if you want to hear about us, well, we're there to try and help you out as much, as much or as little, you know, as, as you'd like us to, ha- as the families would like us to have involvement. And I think getting the voice out there because mm-hmm. actually uh, um, my first year back at work after after the cancer and I can remember there was there was this little little boy and he was being treated actually at the same um, hospital as I was and he was starting school but he was only starting school because his parents wanted him to experience school before his treatment became too much and I spoke to the parents and I directed them towards the charity because they they couldn't compute essentially what was happening and they put it down to the charity as to as to their own mental health and well-being improving because of that but actually that was also a really lovely success story because he beat it and he's in year six now um, which is gorgeous to see (laughs) but I think the we quite often think about the cancer affecting the person but it, it does it affects everyone that they are around so again, it's about how we can support not only that young person in navigating, but also the friends and family around them to support that young person. And if us sharing sharing our stories can even help one person and direct one person towards getting the help that they need from, from the charity, then I feel like it's going to be, you know, 
What sort of psychological impact do you see, Abby, from... Because you see, obviously, we mentioned the younger age child, probably from babies to, obviously, 24. There must be different journeys. we told us about parents who struggle as well. You must see all different stories. Yeah, I think, you know, it's it's working with, with the little ones and... and providing that support to their carers, whoever they may be. Um, but as, as Cleo mentioned, we support as a family unit. You know, it is very much the focus of the patient, but it's making sure that the other members of the family are getting what they need also. So, you know, at, um, if there's a psychology team within the hospital, we make sure to connect and offer that support if the family wish to have it. Um, but we also look at other resources that might be appropriate to help with the emotional impact if that might not be the option that they want to pursue or they want something in addition to that. Um, and I think for the young people, it's, it's as we've kind of touched on, it's really just kind of looking at, it's working with them a little bit more directly because of the age and just their ability to engage and have those conversations, build that rapport. Um, but then again, offering that support to the family as much as they want us to be involved. And that can really vary. I mean, it just depends on each family's situation. It's so unique, you know. I mean, they're, you're, you're going through this, this massive thing and what might impact someone initially in the first three months, it might hit somebody six months down the road. And so we just sort of walk alongside them, honestly, as things come up um, and just address the needs if they need that psychology support, if they, if it's helpful just to talk to us, you know, we do support by just telephone calls. If that's just something, listening. yeah, just lending an ear. Um, and then if, if they're in at the hospital, popping down to see them. If they're in long term after a transplant, you know, trying to make sure we're there to be able to check in with them um, and just just being available as much as we as we're able um, and as much as they want us to be. And I think with the kind of mental health and well-being impact that it can have moving forward. One of the other incredible things that the charity does is direct you towards other charities for just having fun. Because again, <laughs> what happens when, you, when you're young and you get a, a diagnosis is, again, you go into survival mode, but actually you're still living and you're still, you still have this incredible life in front of you. And just because, you know, you are having an internal battle doesn't mean that you can't enjoy everything else that... That, that life has to offer. So again, I can remember the, the Young Lives Versus Cancer directed me towards another charity that took me out for the day in London. And we went, we went shopping and we had lunch. And I can remember I came back to chemo and I was just sat, sat there and I must have been the happiest person <laughs> sat in chemo. And it was, it was just about accepting that you can still enjoy life and you can still, despite the diagnosis, you still have life is for the living and you can you can continue to thrive, not just survive. Just because we have that diagnosis doesn't mean that we're not still on that journey of of thriving. It doesn't have to define you as a patient. It can you can be as whatever you want to be and then have this unfortunate thing going on as well. And I think I would always describe it as it's your reaction to it. Mm -hmm. The amount of times that people say to me, Oh, but Cleo, do you feel like you are who you are now because of the cancer? And I used to say yes, but then I realized I probably stopped and thought about what they were asking. I was like, no, I'm not the way I am because of the cancer. The cancer is rubbish. <laughs> I am the way I am because of my reaction to the cancer and, again, how I have managed that. And like I said, that would be through... Um, connecting with, with other people and relying on other people. 
How much of a difference did the charity make to your journey? I don't think I would have the mental health that I have now without them. Um, like I said, they just helped in in every single aspect. And sorry, um, they were just there on the journey with me, and it just felt like they they were as invested in my well being as as I was and as my family was. And it was almost like having this extra, extra family. And the more people that are involved in your journey, the more that we can have an impact moving forward and the more that we can ensure that these young people's lives are, like I said, that we can continue to thrive because that's what I would describe Young Lives Versus Cancer as having helped me. They helped me not just survive, but they did. They helped me thrive right the way through it. And you hear that firsthand, Abby, and the incredible work that your charity does. <laughs> how, how hard is it in this, at this time, post-COVID, cost of living crisis, to stay afloat as a charity and carry on supporting people when you know that help's needed so, so much? It's really difficult. Um, I think, you know, COVID had an initial really big impact. And then since then, the cost of living has increased so much so that new issues are arising that we might not have dealt with as much pre-COVID. Um, and, you know, because we are a charity, because we work alongside other charities, we're all feeling that, you know, I think people are just unable to provide that financial support to then that we then pass on to the families. Um, so it's looking at these new issues that are arising. You know, a major one right now is just travel costs. Um, families are spending well into the hundreds uh, a month just to, to get to their their appointments, sometimes skipping appointments or their treatment, postponing it a little bit so that until they can get there, um, because they don't have the, fun, the funds for it. And so what we do then is look at, okay, what are we able to do? Are there other entities that can help with that, charities that can help with that as well? You know, right now we're working on the Running, running on Empty campaign, um, which I encourage everyone to look at on our website and sign the petition. You know, that's, that's an action that we want. We want others to be supported, but we need the MPs, we need the people who can make these decisions happen um, to know that this is an issue and it's not going away anytime soon. And it's greatly impacting the lives of people that shouldn't be having to worry about this right now. The travel had had a huge impact on me, I have to say. And, you know, I've had it where people have said to me before, oh, well, can you not just get the bus? And I'm like, OK, you sit in a chemo room for six hours being pumped through with drugs and then go and sit on a bus beside somebody who's eating an egg salad sandwich yeah. and try not to vomit all over <laughs> them. It's just not, it's not sustainable. It's not safe it's, too. I mean, you're, you're so vulnerable to, sorry to cut in, no. but you're so vulnerable to infection. You can't just go hop on a train. You can't hop on a car, on a bus. You can't, you know, you could take a taxi, but that's still costs a lot and not always uh, yeah not always hygienic I mean there's just things that I think people don't don't take into consideration like you can't you have to think through these things and for, for me as well travel gave me a sense of control mm -hmm. so I could not control what the cancer was doing inside my body that's just something I had to accept I couldn't control whether the medications are working I just have to give it a go but what I could control was driving to chemo that was one thing that every single week and when I was doing radiotherapy every single day. I mean, you know, when 
going to going to radiotherapy was like having a full-time job I mean actually to be honest having cancer is like having a full-time job you're just there all the time and I lived an hour away and if I was getting public transport it would have taken double that so I'd have been traveling four hours a day and in hospital all day while also having all of the physical and mental side effects of cancer it's just not it's not sustainable or as you said safe so hearing the vital, just little things like the travel support, what can people do to support your charity? Um, I think they can do it. There's a, no one way that you can support. I mean, I think it's there's there's London Marathon, there's baked goods sales at your school, there's raising awareness just to who the charity is and letting people know. It's checking us out online and, and sharing that with friends, family, others. I think it's it's hosting events, you know, in any capacity that might just bring people together to have these conversations and just let them know sort of who we are as a charity. If you do have any any questions or you know that you want to support the charity but are unsure of how to do that, you can also always get in touch. So I was at an event on Thursday where um, where we were raising awareness and we were raising funds. So again, it was, um, it was an awards night that was hosted. And then I was there as an ambassador and there was a representative from the charity there. But we did, um, we did a silent auction, a raffle, as well as just going around and collecting from people. But it's not just the funds. It is about the awareness where we need to open up that conversation so that people know, because obviously the, the incredible things that the charity does, that's what we want people to be accessing. We want them to be accessing the help that they that they need and that will impact their their lives moving forward after being given this horrible diagnosis. Well, thank you so much for that emotional insight to your experience on your journey with cancer and obviously the support available to people. If anyone needs any more information on that episode or any of our other Opening Minds, Opening Doors episodes, you can go to the website, openingmindsopeningdoors.co.uk or just search Opening Minds, Opening Doors on socials. Opening Minds, Opening Doors is a Bower Create production for EACT. 